And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT The Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT The Brick. All right, JT, back with you. Our number two of the show, Ihole, the new ultra-premium tequila one of our newest sponsors here on the JT The Brick Show, and we're thrilled to be on Raider Nation Radio on a very special day. Pete Rose gave us almost 40 minutes. We blew through two breaks on his birthday, and he gave us everything. We're going to replay a portion of that tomorrow. For those who didn't hear it on the app or if you're joining us late, it was incredible. I've been interviewing Pete since I started co-hosting his show with him in 1996. And he thought enough of me to call in on his 80th birthday today and talk about everything. He's getting into the gambling business officially now at a company you pick trade, and he's going all in. And he's picking games, and he's not apologizing for it. And I don't think anybody should. The amount of people who are picking games in Las Vegas, uh, professional touts, private touts on networks and not, that's Pete Rose. So he's entering that space. And he told us about it here first. That is an interview that I'll never forget. And I hope to never forget this conversation with the great Steph McKenzie, my partner here at Lotus. It's been too long. How are you, Steph? We all miss you. How are you? Oh, I'm amazing. How are you, JT? I'm good. The governor said we're back and we're open. And Dana White put out this UFC Conor McGregor sold out full capacity. Should I buy in? Is Vegas open? Are we going to be open for good? Oh, I think we are. It was interesting to see within a couple of, I want to say minutes, but it was hours, how many events are going to be going on real quick, real soon. Well, that's your side of the business with rock and roll on point. And I look at these concerts that are that are starting to backload. A lot of concerts were canceled. We've all been waiting on Garth Brooks to open Allegiant Stadium, the big Motley Crue tour, and what they're doing. But there's so many smaller shows and rock shows, that, and you know these rock stars, they come on with you, that they're ready to get back on stage again. It's been a long break. Well, I think, like I keep saying, I've alluded to it, I think the biggest one is that arena tour with Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Poison, Joan Jett's opening up for them. You know, it was set to go last year, and those are all at baseball stadiums, and it's just going to be huge. And a lot of people, I think, bigger than even that stadium and when it's going to go. You know, Vince Neal went into hiding because he got Mm -hmm. a trainer because they were going to be out on the road. There were some not flattering pictures going around of him before they announced that tour. So I think that's really big. How do rock stars do it? A new buddy, a, a great friend of mine, he got into something new. He only drinks tequila now on the rocks for no carbs. He says, JT, you got to try this. I said, come on, man. I got two shows a day. I can't drink during the week. He's drinking tequila on the rocks. Is that what the rock stars do, Steph? Well, I'm trying to first, A, get you to drink during the week. You should. It will help cut the edge a little bit. And if you do Thank tequila you. on the rocks or you do tequila with soda water or vodka with soda water, You'll be fine. One drink's not going to kill you, JT. <laughs> I was thinking of you when Carl Joseph came back because, you know, Carl Joseph I'm okay with, but I don't think Carl Joseph is a pro bowler. I don't think he's going to change the Raiders secondary that much, but I know you like Raiders who want to be here, and he wanted to come back. He called it home in the press conference. He's thrilled to be here, and it adds depth to a position, Steph, in the defensive backfield that needs to improve. Well, absolutely. On that defensive back, I agree with you on that. I do, and you know how I am about the Raiders that want to play here. 
But now I'm starting to get a little mixed. Maybe I'm reading too much into tweets or social or whatever it is, news stories. But are you here because it's Vegas or are you here because of the Raider organization? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that's really important because there's a big discussion going on. Steph McKenzie joins us from 97 won The Point. There's a big discussion now that the union wants the players not to participate in voluntary workouts. And you know you've covered this. Derek Carr is always out in that in that field and Henderson working out with his team. I thought that was a strength for Carr, your favorite player, as he brings his teammates together who want to be here. Well, I think that it's okay for them to do that, but I know they're starting to get – and who knows how we're going to navigate through the world because I saw the report today, too, that, you know, if you want to be with the players, if you want to be that, that coach or anybody that's affiliated with teams, and that's through and through when it comes to sports, they're saying you're going to have to get the vaccination. So what does that do for people that didn't want to get it? Well, that's a big topic. I talked about that on my national show last night because that story was big in Buffalo yesterday where an Erie County commissioner where the Bills stadium is set leaked it out and he's talked to the Bills and if you're going to go to a Bills game you have to have uh, the vaccination and again I'm not telling people to get vaccinated or not we did we we're out there we want people to be able to get back together again but how do you feel about that what are your listeners saying if you have to get vaccinated to go to go not only to a football game but to a rock concert Well, a lot of people are wondering, A, what's going to happen, and B, why has it become someone's health a topic of discussion? And people will push that off as, it's not that, it's it's safety, it's you taking care of me and me taking care of you. But you could go on and on and on as far as health concerns. When was the last time you asked your friend if they got a flu shot? And I know it's not the flu, people are going to argue that it is what it is, you can believe what you want to believe, but... If somebody wants to get a shot or not get a shot, isn't that your health personal um, yeah. privilege? And, and for those that are saying that, that you have to get it to come into something, you're going to see quickly what is going to happen. There's just going to be, I think, that split right down the middle. Yeah, I disagree because it's a pandemic. So to keep other people safe, you have to have rules. You're not allowed to walk into an arena with a full cocktail. You can't walk into an arena and smoke. It's a privilege to go to these events. And if they believe that they want the event to be more safe, I support those decisions. We'll see how this plays out here in Vegas going forward. A couple other things. Steph McKenzie joins us. I wanted to jump in on. I didn't get a chance to talk to you after the opening of Virgin Hotels. Now that it's been open a couple of weeks, I went back again. Resorts World coming, Circa open at this point in town. Do you sense that Vegas is back in regards to tourism and the amount of foot traffic you're seeing on the Strip? Absolutely. When I went to Nashville for spring break, leaving and coming back to Vegas, of course, you want to know more about coming back to Vegas. The plane was packed, and I went to Arizona for a big cheer competition this past weekend. And coming home, it was packed with people wanting to party. Because you know how we always say, all of us that live here, when we're coming home, we're wore out, we're tired, we want it to be quiet. I feel like back long, long time ago when everyone's coming to Vegas to party and let loose. That's how it felt coming home. Tell me more about Nashville. Girls trip, spring break, what was it about and what did no, you think of the city? No, that wasn't the girls trip. That was, it was fun, though. I went like and saw different things. We went zip lining. Um, we went and saw different parts of Nashville that I've never been. I explored off of Broadway. But Broadway's fun. It's totally open as well. Awesome. And you still, for those who didn't get to hear this, you went on the tour. You were tweeting a lot and raving about the artwork inside Allegiant oh, Stadium and just how beautiful that is. That, that was a big hot button for you, huh? 
Well, I love the artwork in that stadium and obviously fell in love with it. But what I loved is that once it opens up, they're going to be able to um, people, all of us, when I say we are, they're going to be selling it to the public. So I got my hands on the one I put on. I'm not going to say it because I don't want anyone else to get it. I want to be the first one to get one of those. I'm going to outbid you with one of those paddles. Oh, Once you tell me, I'm just going to sit so there mean. and just drive it up. What's going on charity work-wise? What's going on the radio? Where can everybody find you? All right, we got lots going on. We've got Walk with the Heart of a Child coming up in May. If you're in Vegas, um, please come and join us at Springs Preserve for children that are born with heart defects. Or if you're going to be in Vegas, we'd love to see you in Springs Preserve. It's a gorgeous area to come and check out. And then, of course, today, RadioCares.org. You can check that out. We're going to help Three Square. Or if you're anywhere in the United States listening, RadioCares.org will help support your local food bank. And that, you know, we've got over 37 million people that are food insecure through the pandemic. And, of course, you can always go to Point97.com and check out Fox & McKenzie Monday through Friday from 5 to 9. Beautiful. I'm going to leave you with some homework. The first pick in the draft. You're going to be on here a week from Wednesday. We need your first pick. Now, here's the, here's the homework. I say Raiders have to go defense, but everybody's saying right tackle, right tackle. They need a right tackle. Trent Brown's gone. We were both happy that that bum got out of here. He had no interest in being a Raider. Now we got to find either a new right tackle in the first round or you go defense. So I don't want it now. I'm going to leave you with that. I'm going to text you over a couple of names to study (laughs) up on, and I want you to hit it out of the park. All right. I'm going to do my homework, and I will come with you with something fun in the next few days as well. You got it. There she is, the great Steph McKenzie, one of the most impactful radio voices in all of Las Vegas, period. She's a lot more talented than I am. I know it. That's why I put her on the radio, listened to her on 97, won the point, Fox and McKenzie in the morning. If you love great music, you like great conversation, they're always having fun, and she is a diehard Raider fan. I'm talking diehard, as diehard as they get. All right, we move on. What an hour. I can't even catch up. Pete Rose on in the first hour for 40 minutes. And Ed Moransky, Raider legend, Super Bowl champion, Steph McKenzie. And now we get a chance to go back to the draft network. Benjamin Zolak is kind enough to join us, and he's fantastic. He's one of these young guns in the business that are breaking down drafts, mock drafts, and we welcome him to Raider Nation Radio. Ben, thanks for coming on, and I want to start off with the big question I'm asking everybody. Do you like the run on these quarterbacks early, or do you think most of these teams are panicking to get one? Well, it's good for content, number one. That's, that's always fun for us. It's kind of our, our heyday here, January through April. And I do think the class is worth it. Uh, it is a very top-heavy class, I will say that. The talent at the top is, is, is worthy. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, these are some of the strongest quarterback prospects we've seen come out. And even like a player like Trey Lance, who typically does not have a lot of league interest, a one-year starter at the FCS level, that's a, that's a big risk. Well, we're seeing teams willing to take that swing because of his natural talent, which is so tantalizing. So it is a strong class at the top. But the weakness on day two and on day three is noticeable. Uh, there's a chance we have fewer than 10 quarterbacks selected, which will be only the second time that's happened in the last two decades, the 2015 uh, a class of James Winston, Marcus Mariota, and then pretty much nobody afterwards is the only other one in which you've had fewer than 10 quarterbacks go all together in the draft. And there's a chance we're going to hit that number again. Uh, so when you look at such players as uh, Davis Mills out of Stanford, Kyle Trask out of Florida, Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M, 
these guys project to be the day two quarterback like mm-hmm. this year, and to me, these are day three players. So I think at the top of the draft, no, it's appropriate that there's going to be this early run. To me, it makes sense. I think if we start seeing guys like Mills and Mond be top 50, top 60 picks, that's where teams are going to be overbuying with, with the weak class after the big five. Ben Solak is our guest. So I wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons. You did a deep dive on some of the offensive linemen. I'm out in Vegas where the Raiders need a right tackle after losing Rodney Hudson, Trent Brown, Gabe Jackson. But a lot of times I don't like taking – I'm not a fan of taking offensive linemen, rookies, unless it's Penny Sewell or someone you know is going to be a slam dunk. So walk me through four or five of the offensive linemen, how quickly they will go – because there should be value with all the quarterbacks and especially the wide receivers being taken early. Absolutely. Right now, I think Vegas, in terms of the sports books, has it at about six and a half over under offensive linemen in the first round. And that's an appropriate price. Uh, it's going to be a heavy offensive line first round. It's a good class. Uh, so for the Raiders, with potentially a need at both right tackle and then at one of the guard spots, you can see them go interior or on the outside. After Penny Sewell's Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, a top-flight athlete, multiple years of good film, has the best film against Chase Young of any player we saw at the college level. He's probably going to be gone before 17. He's in the conversation to even maybe dark horse it and be the first tackle off the board before Sewell. So those two guys will be gone. After that, you enter the second tier of tackles. you got Christian Darrisaw out of Virginia Tech, Kevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, Samuel Cosme out of Texas, Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama, Liam Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. Five names, all of them could be first-rounders. I would, I would nearly guarantee that Kevin Jenkins, Oklahoma State, and Christian Darrisaw, Virginia Tech, will be first-rounders. We'd be stunned if either one of those guys makes it out. Darrisaw is your 6'5", 330, 34-inch you know, arms dancing bear type. It is not a very long tackle class. We talk about tackle arm length every year. This year, most tackles are somewhere in the 33-inch range. Darrisaw is 34-plus. We're the only tackles that have really true NFL caliber length coming out. Uh, the movement skills at his size looks like an NFL player. I expect him to be around one pick. Kevin Jenkins, a little bit not stubbier, right? Not as long as we're talking about, plays with dominant physical traits. Unbelievably angry human being. Just dominant finisher at all three levels for, for the Cowboys. He's going to be not only, I think, a top 20 pick, but very much so the sort of guy that the Raiders would like um, because he's going to fit that nasty mold that they had in that offensive line even before they retooled it coming into this last year. So those two guys, both good options at 17, both expected first-round picks. If you miss out on them, Leatherwood, Cosme, and Eichenberg are next tier. The, the only other guy really worth mentioning here is an interior player, Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. Right. Played left tackle for the Trojans this past year because they didn't have anybody else. Everybody thought he was a great guard. Nobody thought he'd be good at tackle. And then he was great at tackle. And that really solidified him for NFL teams. Teams love him more so than the media does. If I had to guess, I think he's gone before 17 gets to the board. If he isn't, it's a home run. Uh, and the Raiders would love to bring in a guy who has experience starting at guard and at tackle to potentially win either one of those jobs in camp. Bear Tucker is extremely well-rounded, has great film against next year's top five pick. Kayvon Thibodeau is an edge out of Oregon. He checks every single box. Uh, so you're probably looking at Tevin Jenkins or Christian Darrisaw. Elijah mm-hmm. Tucker, however, is a huge win if he falls to 17. Ben Solak, so for everybody around the country who's looking for a right tackle or a tackle, you're saying Darrisaw is a lock. This guy is just big, 
strong. He's not going to get overwhelmed as a rookie in a plug-and-play situation with any team because he has a body and the size of a proven NFL stud. So, yes, the body type for sure. It's worth noting Virginia Tech ran a very college style offense, a lot of RPOs, a lot of play action. Derisaw was not tasked as regularly as other prospects in true traditional pass sets. So if you're like, all right, we need to pass protect, we're going to base five-man protection, empty protection, which is something the Raiders like to do. They don't want to leave Darren Waller in to help chip. They want to let Darren Waller go run a route. And so if, you're, if you have a reason for concern about Derisaw, he's going to be putting a lot more pass sets, traditional you know, outside shoulder uncovered pass sets in the league than he was at Virginia Tech. For my money, personally, I'd rather have Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State. Darisaw has better physical tools, maybe a better year three projection, but if you need a year one starter at right tackle, I'd take Tevin Jenkins. All right, let's move on to the cornerbacks with Patrick Sertain II and J.C. Horn, Joe Horn's son at South Carolina, Greg Newsom, some of the ones that you like because – I'm frustrated with this position. It's so hard for a rookie corner to come into the league and start. But if you're going to take a rookie corner in the first round, he's got to start. You're not using a player like that in a high pick like the Cowboys at 10 to develop someone. You want him to start instantly. So Sertan the second, he's that much better than everybody else. He's the leader at the corner position. I think he was the leader of the corner position for a long time. And then J.C. Horn jumped 41 and a half inches and ran a 4.39, and that kind of changes the calculus here a little bit. A lot of what you would typically attribute to Patrick Sertan in terms of the positives on his evaluation are the size, the ability to play press coverage at that size. He's a big enough NFL corner to do it. Uh, the experience in an Alabama defense that had him play press coverage against the SEC on the line of scrimmage. He has NFL bloodlines, right, as you brought up, and he's got that top-flight athleticism. Well, all of a sudden, J.C. Horn checks every single one of those boxes. No, he's not playing for Nick Saban, Alabama, but he lined up in press coverage, up against SEC receivers. He's got great athleticism. He's got NFL bloodline. And so J.C. Horn is closer to Patrick Sotan with every passing day at the top of the corner class. Now, who's corner one off the board? It's up to the Cowboys, in my opinion. They'll make that pick. I don't know who it is they like the most. But to me right now, that's the top tier of guys. Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech was in this conversation, had back surgery after opting out in the 2020 season. This is second back surgery in as many years. He's a medical red flag. We don't know where he's going to fall yet because teams don't know how much they trust him to be available. So uh, Horn and Sertan, both able to play press, man. Both would be successful in a Dan Quinn defense like the Raiders have. I don't think both or even one of them makes it to 17 if they do huge opportunity a small trade-up may even be worth it i agree with you that corner room in las vegas needs some desperate help as it is i'm not sure either one makes it it may be better to wait till round two start to look at players like eric stokes out of georgia start to look at players like aaron robinson at a ucf and try to get a player there who maybe can be your third corner but rookie starter at 17 it'll be very hard to land one in this class uh, Micah Parsons, I'm a big fan of his, but I don't, I've been hearing things and a couple of guests talked about some of the intangibles off the field. What's the story with him? A, a linebacker out of Penn State, sideline to sideline, can get upfield. How good is he? Is he super elite, a first-round, like high first-round super elite, or do you think he's going to have to prove it when he gets in here because of his size? Where do you have him? Yeah, so uh... – linebackers in the top 10 always dangerous because we don't really see as much value out of off-ball stacked linebackers in the modern NFL. 
because teams are running the football less. So now your pass coverage becomes more important, and that devalues your linebacker spot. So where Tremaine Edmonds went a few years ago, right in the middle teens to the Bills, I think is where we expect a player like Micah Parsons, both for 240-plus pounds, both were super long, ridiculously athletic, a little bit raw to the position. But to me, I expect Parsons to go right around to close to where the Raiders are picking. To the intangibles, I've never met the guy. I've never shook his hand. I've never talked to him. And guys with, with more NFL sources who talk to more college sources can, can uh, speculate on that. That's not me. I watched the film. Kid sucks. Really, really good player. Guys his size should not move the way he does. Has an edge background from high school, so he's still learning his keys which means what you're seeing now is a floor he can get better uh, with, with NFL coaching, with NFL experience. He's a really, really high team player, the sort of linebacker you're willing to take at that team spot. Given that the Raiders signed Corey Littleton last year, clearly valuing that, that length at linebacker, I do think Parsons is a, a player who will be interesting to them. So you internally have to talk to Michael Parsons, talk to people around Michael Parsons, and decide – how much does he love football? How seriously is he going to take this? What, what's just a rumor about him? What's legit about him? And if you feel confident that you have the culture necessary to keep his head screwed on straight, Parsons starts to become a value at 17, especially for a team like the Raiders who tried to fix linebacker last year, were unsuccessful, and still need help at that spot. Ben Solak, as we wrap it up from the Draft Network, tell everybody about the Draft Network and the edge that you guys have. Your grinders, big analytics, big film watching, Kind of new to the industry compared to some of the old school prognosticators and draft outlets. What do you guys do special? Yeah, no, it was exciting. Draft Network kicked off in 2018. This will be our third draft that we're going through. Uh, it, it's guys who've had experience evaluating at other outlets, but we're only able to do it for X number of months. Had to do it with, with you know, this other content responsibility and that other responsibility. It's year-round draft at the Draft Network. So we have ex-scouts that work with us. We have ex-personnel guys who work with us. And we provide draft coverage 24-7, 365. You join the draft network. There's the, the mock draft simulator, which is a ton of fun. It allows you to pick a team and make all the selections up against our board. Scouting reports for over 400 players with projections for each one. One year, three years, scheme fits, the whole kit and the caboodle. And so draft coverage has really blown up over the last decade or so as, as all these highlight reels get on YouTube and all the fans can watch the players that their teams pick. So we do our best to bring the expert knowledge to you so you understand what you're watching and how they're going to fit with your NFL team. We have a ton of fun. So we'll be live show again this year uh, on draft weekend. And then moment May kicks off, we start watching 2022 players. Excellent, Ben. Good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. Have a good one. We'll do it again. There he is. Ben did a nice job. Ben Solak and one of the young guns, as I call them, the guys that we have on the air from Pro Football Focus. Ben, these are guys under 30 years old who are just film geeks and analytic guys who work for these companies and just look. He knows 10 times more than I do about these offensive linemen who the Raiders can get. I mean, he gave us a deep dive on the difference between Christian Darasaw, who will be available for the Raiders, or... Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, and he says Tevin Jenkins is the player. And, you know, I'm, I'm big on Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, because the Raiders haven't had a linebacker that's been worth anything as long as I've been with the team almost. I'm talking about super elite. So I don't want to give up on a super elite linebacker if available. In the last two mock drafts I looked at, Micah Parsons going 17 to the Raiders. Man, I'll throw a party at the top of Circa if that happens. I'm telling you I will. I want to see alpha males 
on defense come into this program and be here long term who are great. Not good, not projects, great players. And I think you can get a couple of great defensive players at 17. What does Chris in West Oakland think? Hello, Chris. Well, you know, JT, actually, I I wasn't even going to call today. I've already pretty much told you what I want the Raiders to do with the draft. I'm not a big draft guy in general. I call for one reason. Uh, Thank you. I want to thank you for the Pete Rose interview. I've been listening to your show since you started co-hosting with him back on the old um, Sports Fan Radio Network. That may be the best interview you've ever done. The highest compliment I can give you, that interview was Howard Stern-esque. 40 minutes, great topics, on point. And let me say this about Pete Rose. Please, please, let's put this guy in the Hall of Fame. If you want to keep him banned from baseball, which I think is a joke, he would be great for the game. He'd be a great ambassador. But the Hall of Fame is completely independent from Major League Baseball. It's a complete cop-out. And if you really believe all this BS that it's there for the fans, well, the majority of the fans, the overwhelming majority of the fans, believe this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. He served his time. He made a mistake. Let's not be so petty. And when I hear people say he has to get after he died, I'm with you a thousand percent, JT. Let's give this man his time in the sun. He's did his time, but what he did on a baseball field, he deserves to be able to stand on that podium and let everybody thank him, you know, for the service and what he did as, as, to, to further this sport. Again, just a phenomenal interview. Happy 80th birthday, Mr. Rose, and I sure hope that in your lifetime, not mine, yours, you get to see yourself inducted because you deserve it. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thank you. That means a lot. You know, Pete, again, is a flawed character in sports history. He's got a lot of flaws. I have a lot of flaws. You probably have a lot of flaws. The Pete Rose topic now, not right after he bet on baseball as a manager, not a player. Pete Rose was never accused, nor did he ever bet as a baseball player. Never. That's never been brought up. No one's even thought about that. He did bet as a manager on the Reds. And for those who said, well, the Knights, he didn't bet on the Reds. That meant he didn't believe and it tipped off the gamblers. Absolutely. I don't argue that point. I don't sit here and try to break down Pete's gambling issues. I don't. It's not for me to do. That's why he got kicked out of baseball. When I was the co-host of the Pete Rose Show for a year, Pete lied to me. Pete lied to me. The topic was about him gambling. He said no. So he lied to everybody. And he had a problem with that. He was a liar. And then it took him a while, and then people thought he was motivated by the sale of a book, and Charlie Gibson got him to sit down. Whatever it is, I agree. He didn't handle it properly. But now we forgive him. After 30 years, you forgive people. We let people out of jail. We forgive people. People who get divorced forgive each other. It's all about forgiveness. Now, if you're one of those baseball fans who says, no matter what, he bet on baseball, he should never get in, I won't argue with you. I won't. Because if you really strongly believe that, I don't want to change your mind. But if you're down the middle, or if you're pro Pete Rose, then you want him to find this happiness in his life. Why wouldn't you? He's 80 years old. If he's 80 years old. Look at how long they waited for Tom Flores to wait. Tom Flores should have been walking around for 25 years with a gold jacket at every event he was at, and they made him wait. And now all of a sudden he's a Hall of Famer? He was a Hall of Famer the day he stopped coaching. Help these people on their journey along the way. Chris Trapasso is going to join us from CBS, another draft expert.
the line shot to center. Here's a man rounding third. Here comes the throw. It is not in time. The other runners advance, and the Reds have tied it and have runners on second and third. Griffey scored easily. Lynn's throw was wide of the plate. Armbruster raced to third, and Rose went down to second on the throw to the plate. Here's the ball hit out to Freddie Lynn, center field. Griffey with a good speed off second. Nobody in cutoff position for the Red Sox. A fundamental mistake allowing a runner, Pete Rose, to go into second. Pete Rose, 75 World Series. He joined us for 40 minutes today. That interview will be exclusively up here at LV Sports Network here in a little bit. Great to talk to the all-time hit king. Now I'm thrilled to talk to Chris Trapasso, who joins us, an NFL draft and NFL insider for CBS Sports. And, Chris, it's countdown to the draft. How are you feeling? How excited are you as there's a heavy run on all these quarterbacks early? I'm really excited, and I appreciate you having me on, JT. I wish the draft was actually next weekend. You have to wait until that last weekend in April. It had been a little earlier the past two years. kind of got me a little bit greedy. So two more weeks. I'm excited, but I wish we were here sooner. Uh, let me ask you about the quarterbacks in Justin Fields. you think that the Niners are getting second thoughts with his 40-time, his great athletic ability, his pro day earlier? If you're Kyle Shanahan and you look at that tape and you see him live compared to Mac Jones, what do you think is the big difference? The big difference is a lot of what you just outlined, that Justin Fields has just a more impressive overall skill set. Iron talent, and that means – not just the ability to throw the football far or fast, but make difficult throws when you're under pressure, when you're throwing on the run. Justin Fields is light years ahead of Mac Jones in those areas. And then he's just a high-level athlete. We haven't really seen Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers head coach and play caller, with a quarterback of Justin Fields' athletic makeup, maybe since RG3 in that rookie season, that was so good for RG3. Since then, he's had a lot of more Mac Jones type of quarterbacks, and I think at this point in his coaching career, although Kyle Shanahan is pretty young, I think he wants someone that can elevate those around him. Mac Jones can be a good quarterback in the NFL if the situation around him is perfect. Justin Fields can take a lesser team and get it to double-digit wins or have a high-caliber quarterback type season that's the way I think the 49ers are going to ultimately go at number three I'm pretty fascinated with Zach Wilson because it looks like the Jets are all in on him and you know I would take Justin Fields over Zach Wilson because I just think he's bigger stronger and more durable when you look at the tape of Zach Wilson how does he elude the rush step up in the pocket who are his NFL comparables to you I have Zach Wilson graded a Pick ahead of Justin Fields. I think they're both elite-level quarterback prospects. Uh, and your specific question, I think Zach Wilson does move around in the pocket pretty well. And like Justin Fields, he has that improvisation ability that we know teams like in their franchise quarterbacks today, thinking of Deshaun Watson and Josh Allen, Zach Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. You need that athleticism. So I think Zach Wilson isn't to the quarterback of Justin Fields' caliber in terms of his athleticism, but he's a pretty good athlete in his own right, very creative, and the arm talent is definitely there. Um, I think at his very best, he could be similar to Russell Wilson, that he can reverse his field, 
behind the line of scrimmage, find someone downfield, likes to take a lot of deep shots. Um, but that would be at his very best. To go way back, he reminds me a lot of Jake Plummer, who had a pretty good start to his career in Arizona and then kind of revitalized it late in his career with the Broncos. Very good throwing those bootlegs off play action, not going to miss a lot of throws, uh, and can certainly create with his legs. So I think a good floor or a good middle ground for Zach Wilson, for some of the older uh, fans and listeners out there, Jake Plummer I think is a pretty good stylistic comparison mm-hmm. for the BYU quarterback. Yeah, good comparison. Chris Tapasso joins us, NFL Draft and a insider for CBS Sports. Now, last year we had Henry Ruggs III, CeeDee Lamb, and Jerry Judy. That was pretty impressive, and the run started at 12. This year we have Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, and Devontae Smith, who won the Heisman. What do you think is the better wide receiver class early, last year or this upcoming draft? That's a great question. I think this year's class is a little bit better. Because I think with Henry Ruggs, you were mostly banking on him hitting a few big plays. And he did that for the Raiders in his rookie season, but he was more of a low-volume type of downfield specialist. Jalen Waddle this year, if you're comparing speedsters, is a more complete wide receiver. Running routes, yards after the catch, contested catch situations better than Henry Ruggs. And I think maybe I, I would have put C.D. Lamb ahead of Smith, just in, in terms of his overall skill set. But like you said, he won the Heisman. He's consistently open. He plays a lot bigger than his six-foot frame because he's great leaping uh, over cornerbacks or on a high throw, very good after the catch. And then Jamar Chase, to me, is better than Jerry Judy in that Jerry Judy might have been a more polished route runner, but Jamar Chase can get open regularity, and he's tremendous after the catch because he's so powerful in his lower half. We saw him in 2019 destroy a few first-round cornerbacks and second-round cornerbacks, Trevon Diggs from Alabama, A.J. Terrell from Clemson, who went in the first round to the Falcons last year, uh, in those contested catch situations with his speed. And then he kind of reminds me of, like, A.J. Brown after the catch, that it's just difficult to bring him to the turf. He's like a running back because his contact balance is so good. Chris Trapasso is our guest. So walk me through the edge rushers. We know Quiddy Pay out of Michigan, Gregory Rousseau, and Jalen Phillips out of Miami. Give us a couple of names of the guys. My favorite football players, and I don't think that Micah Parson falls into this because he's more of a linebacker, but I love that edge linebacker that you could line up at defensive end and they could also play linebacker and go coast to coast, sideline to sideline, and make plays. I think that's one of the most important positions in all of football, maybe the undersized edge rusher who can get to the quarterback. Who do you like? Yeah, JT, that's a good thing to point out because I think the league is trending toward more versatile players on defense. And it's not just safety linebackers. It's like you're saying linebackers that are also edge rushers. Another player similar to Micah Parsons that can play off-ball linebacker, range sideline to sideline, Tulsa's Zavin Collins. He's actually a little bigger than Micah Parsons, uh, like 6'4", almost 260 pounds. So he's a hulking linebacker. And at that size, he can legitimately win in one-on-one situations on the edge. I think he's going to go somewhere back portion of the first round. Uh, pretty good athlete. But, again, that, that ability to on third down to line up with his hand in the dirt is very important. And then Aziz Ojulari from Georgia. He's different mm-hmm. from the other edge rushers in this class because he's a little smaller. 
a lot of the other players that you mentioned, Rousseau, Jalen Phillips, Quiddy Pay, they're big three-down players that look like they have NFL bodies already. Ojulari is like 6'3", 240, 245. He's your traditional stand-up rush linebacker. He wins with speed and bend around the corner. He has a pretty good arsenal of pass rushing moves. And then he's surprisingly strong as a run defender because he plays a little bit lower to the ground, has better leverage, center of gravity. So Aziz Ojulari and Zayvon Collins, if you want that kind of linebacker, edge rusher hybrid, those two I think are going to go in the first round, and I think they should go there. I have them both graded very high as first-round prospects. Wrapping it up with Chris uh, Trapasso with CBS Sports. What the Patriots are doing, you're a young guy. You know, I'm not going back to the old days of the NFL where every player came back, right? There was no free agency at one point. There was limited free agency. Players played for one team, maybe two tops. What the Patri- uh, what the um, Buccaneers are doing is so old school. It's incredible. Brady leads the way. He's the Pied Piper. Everybody comes back off a Super Bowl. Everybody's humble enough not to go get new money. Everybody seems to be playing for less money as they want to roll it back for a championship again. Do you think it'll work? I think it very well could uh, because there's not a major hole on this team. And then they are not a team that had to recently – sell a lot of their early draft capital to move up for a player. They have a lot of draft picks in this class. So I think it's a team that's going to even get stronger, being able to add high-quality depth first, second, third-round picks that might not need to play and play prominent roles in 2021, but can learn from veterans like Tom Brady and Indomitian Sue and Mike Evans and Levante David at linebacker. And I like the fact that in retaining a lot of their players, they still have a young and very fast secondary. You don't want a lot of cornerbacks and safeties that are 29, 30, 31, 32 years old. It's hard to stay up with the quickness and the speed of wide receivers today. They spent 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, a lot of early picks on corners and safety. So they still have a nice young core in their secondary that played so well in the playoffs and certainly in that Super Bowl, great offensive line in front of Tom Brady. They absolutely should be the odds on favorite to not only get to, but win the Super Bowl again early in 2022. Chris, finally, is there a chance that Kansas City lost their window? Is there a chance? Because they did a nice job building back that offensive line again with Kyle Long and they lost a couple of good players, but you know, we saw what they could do. We know their plays now. We know Mahomes. They still have Tyreek Hill. They, they never had a great elite defense. They have a couple of really good players, Clark and especially Honey Badger on the back end. Where do you see Kansas City and the importance of them in the draft here? Because they don't look like the dominant favorite to me in the AFC again. It's absolutely vital for them, and it's great that you bring that up because I think because of Patrick Mahomes and his transcendent ability – it's easy to think that they're just going to be in the Super Bowl every year or they're a shoe-in for the AFC title game. To lose those two tackles, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, who had long been two of the best, or together created the best, one of the best tandems at tackle for a long time. To not have those players anymore, I think it is a big blow to that offensive line. And I don't think the offensive line will play as badly as it did in the Super Bowl, but they have to hit an offensive lineman in the draft. Tyron Matthew isn't a spring chicken anymore. Neither is Travis Kelsey. He's actually older 
than Rob Gronkowski, if you can believe that. And Tyreek Hill isn't a super young wide receiver anymore. They lose Sammy Watkins in free agency. Uh, so I think with teams like the Bills and what we saw today with the Browns signing Jadavian Clowney, those two teams and then a lot of upstarts, you know, the Ravens are always going to be around. I think this draft is absolutely vital for the Chiefs, not only um, because of losing those two tackles that had been so important to how good that offense had become under Patrick Mahomes, but some of their stars are getting a little bit older. And in the past few drafts, they haven't really reloaded at tight end or at wide receiver. I think they absolutely need to do that in this draft in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Chris. Where can everybody pick up your mock draft? What are you going to be doing here in the next couple of weeks? What do you got for us? We're just finalizing my top 250 big board at cbssports.com, and you can find all my work at cbssports.com slash NFL slash draft. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Uh, really good. When you got a guy who can put together 250 names, I mean, I think Bobby it out of the park, everybody. If anybody's paying attention, we had Pete Rose on for 40 minutes today. Only show in America to do that. Only sports talk show in America to have Pete Rose on on his 80th birthday on an NFL flagship. I told you when we came here we were going to do things differently, and that was special today. And now we're putting on all these draft analysts trying to whittle down the Raiders' 17th pick to two or three guys. That's what our job is here in the next week or two, is to find a way to make it simple for everybody, and you helped me out along the way also, by getting rid of the players who won't be there for the Raiders and wonder who's going to be available for the Raiders and try to find the best pick. Because here's the deal. Mike Mayock's going to pick someone at 17. We're going to know who the player is. We're going to know the name. We've, going to, we've talked about that player today, yesterday, and all next week. He's one of 10 players, right? He's one of 10 players. It could be Vera Tucker, the offensive lineman of USC. It could be Christian Darisaw. It could be Tevin Jenkins. It could be, in my opinion, Micah Parsons. It could be the edge rushers, Quiddy Pay, or Gregory Rousseau or Jalen Phillips. So my point is, whoever it is, the Raiders pick, we're going to have that name ahead of time. But again, last year I anchored the draft, and nobody knew of Damon Arnett. Arnett wasn't a choice. He wasn't on anybody's board. It was shocking. And Mike Mayock took him for a reason, and he's going to stand by it, and I'm cool with that. He loved his physicality, his coverage ability. The guy didn't give up a touchdown at Ohio State his last year. The guy was unbelievable. They took him for that reason. I also believe they took him because they didn't have a second-round pick and they needed a corner. And then the most shocking deal was two years ago as I was at the top of Dre's, the nightclub at Commonwealth, with Nicole Zalumis and Marcel Reese, and the draft started. And in the, I was in the green room behind the stage, and the Raiders had the fourth pick. It was packed. Raiders are moving to Vegas. Vegas is a done deal. VIPs sold out. Gorgeous night. I got my wife with me. I'm in the suit. And all of a sudden, Cleveland Farrell picked fourth. Someone comes up with me with a headset going, JT, who's that? I go, I got it. I got it right here. I got my notes. Didn't you watch the national championship game? Didn't you watch Clemson? They're on TV. They're in the national championship. He was the player. He was their defensive superstar up front. He's the captain. I know what to do. Give me the microphone. I go out on that big stage. The whole crowd's looking at me with two heads. What? Who? Uh, Cleland? How do you say his name? Sealin? 
No, no, Cleveland Farrell, fourth player out of Clemson. That's who the player is. We walk through it back and forth with Nicole and Marcel. One of my bosses pulls me aside and says, man, nice job. Thank you. I said, thank me for what? You're paying me for this stuff. I, I should know who the fourth player is overall in the draft. I mean, if I don't know that, boot me out of here. And now I'm waiting for Cleland Farrell to pop. So we got Damon Arnett and Cleland Farrell taken in the first round recently. If you could go back in the hot tub time machine, you would easily take players other than those two. Easily. I got multiple choices of players who are better than them now. But now those guys get Gus Bradley. And with get on the bus, Gus, with Gus, Gus has got to get them to play like first-rounders. And then hopefully Gus gets a first or second-round pick in the draft this year to develop to a higher level. It's all about coaching now. I told you I was friends with Paul Gunther, as nice of friends as you can be, acquaintances. I thought that Paul Gunther at times did a good job. Other times he didn't. The job got away from him. The players didn't play well. There was COVID. There were a lot of players who weren't available. And he got fired. That's it. It's a business. A lot of people get fired. And now Gus Bradley comes in to revamp this roster. He gets Yannick Ngakwe. Carl Joseph returns. And then they're able to go all out and go pretty big on the defensive side of the ball. And they brought in a lot of defensive players who are supposed to have an impact here pretty quickly. And they better. Solomon Thomas. John Hankins is back. David Irving, who came on with me. Quentin Jefferson. Darius Phylon, these guys got to play at a high level. When we come back, we'll wrap up a memorable show. Really excited today. This is why I got in the business. This is exactly why I got in the business for days like today. Very grateful for the platform. Grateful that we could talk to Pete Rose on his birthday. Brought to you by Sam and Ash. SamandAshLaw.com, 702-820-1234. If you get into a car accident, one number to call. At Salmon Ash Law, 702-820-1234. Pass out high, left point Theodore. Towards the middle, turns to shoot, but passes left. Pacioretty shoots, he scores! 300, Max Pacioretty, and Vegas leads 4-2. Pacioretty rips it from the outside left wing. 300 goals in 802 regular season NHL games. That was a beautiful goal by Patches, 300. Remember when you celebrate a goal, yell, Iole. That's the tequila from Mexico. That is the official tequila of our show and the Henderson Silver Knights. Iole, it's spelled H-I-J-O-L-E. And we had Pete Rose on today because of Ihole. Those are one of our new sponsors, and he is presenting picks. He's giving out picks for baseball games on a website and a company based in Mexico that does picks. You might have heard of him in the news a while ago with or without the Golden Knights. And I wanted to put Pete on because, again, the hypocrisy in Vegas with people that give out picks and are worried about who gives out picks, not with Pete Rose. Pete Rose is 80 years old. If he wants to give you gambling advice on a tennis match, get over it. He's Pete Rose. If he wants to give you gambling advice on a horse race, take it or leave it. Baseball, I'd listen to Pete. So we appreciate Pete Rose coming on. We'll send out that entire 40-minute interview. 
And we'll put it up at lvsportsnetwork.com, and I'll tweet it out at JT the Brick. I need a cerveza. My throat is going down, but you do that much talking, it's not like I'm putting out oil fires. It's a great job and a great day today. Thanks to Bobby, who put the show together, and thanks for listening to Raider Nation Radio as we get you ready for the Raiders draft right around the corner. Have a great night. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.